Well, good morning. I want to invite you to turn with me in the Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read here in a moment uh, verses 11 through 14 as we continue our sermon series on the book of Ephesians. And if you weren't here last week, uh, we embarked on this journey through Ephesians, but uh, we aren't at chapter 1 yet. Uh, which seems a little out of order, but um, I am often out of order. So um, the the point is, though, we wanted to spend um, a couple weeks thinking about some big thematic things. And so we did that last week by thinking about the fact that we are incomplete. We have gaps, we have flaws, we have needs we can't meet. And the good news being that we find in Christ everything that's missing in us. And we wanted that to be one of the big themes that we're thinking about as we study the book of Ephesians. This week we're talking about another sort of big thematic thing, and uh, which we'll see in the text here. And then um, next week we will start with Ephesians 1, verse 1 and following. So we will actually move through the whole book in order, I promise, um, Lord willing. Okay, uh, so let's take a look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Actually, I'm just going to read 11 through 13. This morning, hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you so much that you are our God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him to a thousand generations. We do pray now that as we study some things in this passage Holy Spirit, would you help us to see the glory of the Lord Jesus in this text and in our lives? Would you help us to grow in our understanding of our need for him as well as our need for one another? And um, would you use this time now, Lord, to strengthen us in the faith and to uh, equip us that we might continue our mission to make disciples? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the 1920s, there was this town in uh, England called Swaveling, and uh, it was surrounded by dairy farms, and they um, began to wake up to a pretty significant problem. Um, This was a time where the dairy farmers would actually fill bottles of milk at the dairy, and then milkmen would come and bring the milk from uh, the dairy to people's doorsteps, either by horse-drawn carriage or motorized truck. And so milkmen would bring the milk, and in the morning, people would open their doors, and there'd be bottles of milk waiting there for them. And uh, in 1921, in this little English town of Swaveling, uh, people started coming out in the morning and finding their milk bottles open, um, and the cream had been taken off the top. That was another thing, too. There was the milk and there was the cream on top, which uh, was very important for the English because they uh, would use the cream for their afternoon tea. 
So this was a big deal. And um, every morning they were finding more and more of these homes that where people would come out and they would see that the, the milk bottle had been opened and the cream was gone. And so they started trying to figure out what was doing this. Who was stealing the cream from these milk bottles? And um, the police got involved and they're trying to do all this investigation to figure out who is stealing this cream. Pretty soon they actually hear that the next town over... It's happening there too. And so this whole town decides we've got to band together and we've got to figure out what's going on. And so what happened was the whole town is trying to pay attention. They're looking for uh, any moment to see who is stealing this cream and when and how they're doing it. And with the whole town looking, finally one person sees it happen. Uh, A thief comes to somebody's doorstep, opens the bottle, takes the cream and is gone in just in a matter of seconds. And it turns out that the thief was a little bird, uh, a little yellow-breasted bird with a blue head. And um, this bird, and others like it, this kind of bird had figured out that it could swoop in and peel open the tinfoil seal on the milk bottle, stick his beak down and suck up the cream and take off before anybody could stop him. And so they realized this is what is happening. And uh, they started spreading that news uh, all around, that you have to have uh, stronger caps uh, because of the birds. And, um, you know, the... uh, I'm sure that it resulted in bird-proof caps, but um, the other thing that's really cool about that is uh, it really took the whole town banding together. It took the whole town to say, to look at each other and say, we've got an issue, we've got a problem, we've got to work together to deal with this. And it is, it is quite remarkable what can happen in a community when the whole community says, we've all got this challenge, we're all facing this situation together. And I tell that story because as we continue this sermon series and as we begin next week to walk through the book of Ephesians passage by passage, it is my hope that we really see that we're doing this together. That we would together as a church be seeking to learn and to grow with one another and that we would even Think about this, that the church is meant to be a community in which people build one another up in Christ. When a whole community says we're going to do this together, it really is amazing what can happen. And so, again, last week we wanted to focus on how we are all incomplete, but we find in Christ what's missing in us. And this week our focus is on the fact that we really need one another. We're meant to be a community of people who are building each other up in Christ. And so to kind of understand that and have that as a big theme as we move through this sermon series, we'll look at uh, three things today. We'll talk about what leaders do. Uh, I want to talk about how leaders equip. And then we'll talk about how that impacts members, enables members to build. And third, every, how everyone enjoys something when those things are happening. So if you're making an outline, leaders equip, members build. And everyone enjoys. All right, let's uh, keep your Bibles open. We're going to look back at what Paul says here. And let's start with leaders equipped. Here's the first thing I want us to take away from this text. Uh, Leaders are supposed to equip church members to minister to one another. That's going to be really important. 
for us to understand as we move through this sermon series and as we seek to progress as a church. Leaders, the job of a church leader is to equip the members of the church to minister to one another. And don't leave me out. I need to be ministered to as much or more than any of you. So, but to equip one another to really minister to one another. There's really no me and Jesus here. It's us and Jesus. Look what Paul says. Verse 11, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, when we swing back through here uh, in the normal course of things, when we're studying the book, we'll talk a little more about those different uh, roles, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. But for now, I just recognize that those are leadership roles. And notice what the Apostle Paul is saying. Their job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, when he says saints, um, he's using, he's referring to the, the word literally means the holy ones, the ones who are set apart. So you could really swap out there just the, the members of that church, the members of our church. Okay, so here's what he's saying. Leaders are supposed to equip the members of a church for the work of ministry or for works of service to minister to one another. Not exclusively to each other. We've got roles of how we love our city too. But he's emphasizing that we're, a leader is supposed to be equipping the people to minister to each other. Now, what's interesting though is that word equip. The Greek word that he uses there uh, that we translate as equip. Sinclair Ferguson points out in his commentary on Ephesians that this word was used in the medical community about the restoring of broken bones. You break a bone, it needs to be equipped. It needs to be restored. And in fact, if you were to, you don't have to turn there now, but in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21, the same word is used. Uh, but it's used in reference to the disciples mending their nets, their fishing nets. Okay, So spending time putting things back in order, getting the things back into the condition that they need to be in to be effective for catching fish. Now, hold on a second. That's puts a little different paint job on our understanding of what it means to be equipped, right? Because being equipped, when we think equipped, we usually think, well, you've got you, you to gotta have resources, you've got to have training, that's being equipped. But here Paul's using a word that in their context, in the original reader's context, they would have understood it as having this sort of restorative nuance, amending, putting things back the way they're supposed to be. And I think what he's picking up on here is the fact that, see, like, you know, when, human, when God made humanity, Adam and Eve, when humanity first existed, it was able, humans were able to fully minister, to fully care for each other, to fully love and serve each other and treat each other perfectly. So what has happened in the fall is we have been damaged, right? We're still all made in the image of God, but we are damaged in the fall. And so this equipping that leaders do is really being used by God to help sort of put things back the way they're supposed to be. To restore us to the version of humanity that God originally intended. Now, I can't uh, fix you or me. I've tried, on me at least. Um, So there's no way that Paul is saying leaders do the fixing, but ultimately the, the constant focus on Christ in the New Testament and really throughout the Bible is how this takes place. Leaders, speakers, people who speak on behalf of God, people who lead people for in God's church, there's meant to be this constant focus on Christ, who is the great physician, right? 
But realizing that, so my job as a church leader, a job of our elders, our deacons, our community group leaders, really being that we're, we're to be pointing to Christ so that Christ might do this work of restoring us to the way we were originally intended to be. And the, the bottom line is, that what I love about the way this word is used is, if you, if you think about it like that, you realize that often when something needs to be restored, when a bone needs to be put back in place, uh, there's actually a fair amount of pain before it feels good again. You, you maybe have experienced that in your life. A situation where something has to hurt a, more before it actually feels better. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I was thinking about this a number of years ago I, when I was a youth pastor... Uh, before I got demoted to senior pastor, um, I took a, a bunch of kids to camp, and one of the kids uh, was playing volleyball, and he swung really, really hard and missed the ball and hit some kid's head and, uh, and broke his finger or, or dislocated his finger uh, quite a bit. The kid's head, unaffected. It was like a rock. It was amazing. But I had to, take, I had to drive this kid to the hospital. And we're at the hospital, and they're doing x-rays, and they can tell, they can see, and uh, i got to get through this, you do too. Here's what happened. You could see that the bone of this finger was just dislocated. It was just over here. And uh, super gross. I passed out like eight times. And, um, but what they had to do then for this poor kid is they had, to, they had to pull it in order to pop it back into place. And as you might imagine, that was profoundly painful on the pulling part. But as soon as it popped back into place... There was this rush of relief, and then it healed uh, all together. And here's why I say that and think about that in terms of how Paul uses this word equipping and the mending and the pain that might come first. So if we're going to really grow and gain more insight and understanding of the glory of Christ in this passage, there's going to be points at which it's going to hurt first. There's going to be points at which, as your pastor, I'm going to say stuff that doesn't sit right with you and maybe not even with me, but it's coming from the Word of God. And and, and what we would do well to do is to believe that as we interact with these things that shows the difference between us and our perfectly righteous God, that we do so with faith and we trust that if this is uncomfortable or if this doesn't feel right, it's because Jesus is pulling on that bone to set it right. And if we push through what's uncomfortable about some of the things we encounter in the Word of God, we arrive more at that being healed, that being more restored, and and then better able to minister to one another. So we want to take a, a position of faith as we encounter all the things that we see in the book of Ephesians, even when we're seeing things that don't seem right uh, at the outset, trusting that the great physician is bringing about restoration in us so that, so that we can build each other up. So leaders equip, members build. Look at verse 12. And let's talk about how church members are supposed to help one another grow to be spiritually mature. Now some of you might be like, no, sorry Matt, that's your job. But Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it's actually the, the body, the members of the church, that are tasked with the building up of one another, the building up of the body 
of Christ. Verse 12, he says, so the leaders equip the saints, so the members for the work of ministry. Well, what's the work of ministry? Paul says, for building up the body of Christ. What does God want us to do as members of a local church? To build each other up, to build each other up. So that word that he's using there is a word that would normally have been used uh, literally to refer to a building being built. Okay, Physically building a building. That's, how, that's the word you would use. But when it was used metaphorically, then it'd be referred to, or it'd be used in reference to uh, edifying someone, uh, building them up in their understanding of something. In fact, uh, one Bible dictionary takes that word and says that it, what, here's what it means. The, the act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, holiness, and happiness. Okay. That's what it means for, for us to be building each other up in Christ. That we promote one another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, holiness, and happiness. What would it be like if we, for the next several weeks in this sermon series, were thinking, uh, how can I help others grow in their Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness? Um, and I, here's another thing, too. Just for contrast, notice that Paul does not say that uh, leaders equip the saints for the work of ministry for the tearing down of the body of Christ. Did you see that? He does not say that it's our job to tear each other down. It's actually our job to build each other up in Christ. Our faith in Him, our knowledge of Him, we'll talk about that in a minute, but this is really huge because, you know, a lot of people have been really hurt, burned at a church because somehow we get into our mind that it's my job to tear you down. Or it's your job to tear each other down. It's actually not. Paul says it's to build each other up. And, and, and what happens when, it, when a church owns that and, and believes that when I'm interacting with my fellow church members, it's my job to build up each other, to build each other up in Christ. Well, you see, here's the thing. Like, what that requires is that we adopt a radical graciousness with one another. That we choose to be radically gracious with each other. Because part of what's required in people growing in their faith is that they they need to be able to expose what's incomplete about them. They need to be able to acknowledge the sins and the struggles, the gaps and the flaws that they have if we're going to see the light of Christ be impacting those things in their life. And that's why we we need to be ready as we are seeking to be more bold and sharing with one another the struggles we really have, we want to know that the response is going to be building up. And now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we downplay sin or we ignore it. That's not, that's not loving. But being radically gracious as people, as we seek to be vulnerable and to acknowledge what we really do wrestle with. And you've got to ask yourself, like, what was Jesus like when people knew that they were sinners and would approach him? Did he pounce? Or was there this radical graciousness with broken sinners that made it safe for them to acknowledge that they needed him? You know, here's what this looks like. Um, so, again, 
because I had the blessing of doing youth ministry for a season, there was there was moments where I, I watched God at work in the lives of not only um, youth but their families. And I'll never forget when I was with a, a teenager and his dad, and um, I was having a, converse, having a conversation with his dad, and this teenager, his son comes up to him, and um, he looks sad, he looks broken, and he says, Dad, I need to tell you something. And so our conversation ends, and this dad looks at this teenager, and the teenager says, um, Dad, I, I looked at some things on the internet that I shouldn't have, and I just, I'm sorry. And I was so, I, I didn't know if I should like leave, um, but I wanted to see what this, what this dad was going to do. And here's what he said. He said, son, I love you. And I'm sorry. I know how much that hurts. I've been there. And I know you're feeling guilty. There is good news. We have a Savior. He's paid for your sins. And He can give you power over this to fight against it. And I watched in the face of extreme vulnerability, I watched this man show radical grace to that boy. And I'll tell you what, um, you know, we don't keep it a secret around here that I'm a big sinner. Um, I need to be part of a church where I can say, hey, I'm really, really wrestling with that sort of need I have to look successful again or hey, I'm really, really wrestling with this wrongful need I have to control things. I need to be part of a community that will respond with, we love you. We know what that's like. Good news. There's good news. We have a Savior who died for our sins. And you need that too. And the good news is Paul says that that's what... Jesus wants for us that we would be a community that's building each other up in Christ. Again, we don't don't downplay our sin, not one bit. But we upplay the power and the glory and the mercy of Christ together. Okay. Members build. Leaders equip. Members build. And the more that we realize that we are all incomplete, we all have struggles the more this can be a church where we just don't have to hide the fact that we need our Savior. Like Christians, in one way, we're the weirdest people on the planet because we're like, we have a Savior! Don't need Him, though. I do everything right. Why do we do that? We want to be a church. You want to be part of a church. I want to be part of a church that is open and honest about the ways we need our Savior and then we want to let the light of the Gospel in on those ways because while nothing good grows in the dark, Nothing bad survives in the light. And so let's be a church where the members build one another up. A safe place to, be, to acknowledge that we need our Savior and why and hear the good news of the Gospel from one another. Because after all, I mean, that is why we focus on the Gospel constantly. Uh, and let's, let's then talk about how everyone enjoys. If, if leaders equip, if the leaders of this church are doing a good job in, in equipping one another, equipping the, the body to minister to each other, 
And if the members are seeking to build one another up, like we show up, we're not there to tear each other down, we're there to build each other up. We're not downplaying sin, but we are upplaying the glory of Christ. We're going to build each other up. Then everyone enjoys some things. And so look at verse 13 and just see that when leaders do what they're supposed to do and the members do what they're supposed to do, everyone enjoys unity, maturity, and fullness. Unity, maturity, and fullness. And we'll talk about this, these things a little more when we swing through again. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be here in chapter 4 again in this series. But just sort of big picture. Look at what he says. Paul says that you know leaders equip, members build up the body. Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, as we're seeking to build each other up, we're building each other up in, in the faith that's we want to help each other believe more in Jesus and in the knowledge of the Son of God. We want to help one another know Jesus more, right? And as that happens, we experience a unity that really isn't possible otherwise. And in that unity where we're all acknowledging that we're all incomplete, but good news, we find in Christ what's missing in us, there's room for us to begin to grow more mature, as our sin is being addressed, as our faults and our gaps and our limitations are being addressed with faith in Christ, we will grow more mature. And as we mature in Christ, there's a fullness waiting for us, the fullness of Christ. Um, That is if we keep returning to the gospel if we keep coming back to Christ. And one of the things we have to understand is, um, as we study the book of Ephesians, really as we study the Bible, um, I think sometimes we can think about, like, there's so much to know, there's so many things for me to learn, there's so much I don't understand, but we're really, the whole Word of God is really seeking to help us understand one thing really widely and deeply. And that is the Gospel itself. The good news, the simple good news of the gospel, that although we are incomplete, we are sinners, we have fallen short of the glory of God. God is rich in mercy. He has sent His Son, His one and only Son, Jesus, to live a perfect life in our place, to die a sinner's death in our place, to be buried and to rise again so that all who believe in Him might be completely forgiven of all their sins, declared righteous, promised eternal life, and given the Holy Spirit to be transformed in this life and to impact the world for Christ. That simple gospel, we're, we're returning to it to understand it more deeply. Okay, so it's, that's what we have to understand. It's all about what Paul's doing in the book of Ephesians is he's taken all of the big, beautiful ramifications of that simple gospel and helping us understand them more deeply and how they apply to our lives. So it's, we have to understand we're not seeking to learn a bunch of things we don't know. We're trying to learn something we already know even better even more deeply, even more transformably. As uh, Tim Keller likes to say, um, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z of Christianity. And so it's my hope that we will realize that we're really, every week we're seeking to understand this gospel more and thereby understand what it means to believe in Jesus and knowing Him. Knowing Him more and more. Speaking of knowing, do you know who Albert Sabin is? 
Thought somebody was raising their hand. They were scratching their ear. Anyone? Albert Sabin. No, you probably don't. Um, Albert Sabin was an immunologist who in the 1950s was uh, really trying to find uh, a vaccine or create a vaccine for polio. Okay, Polio was a highly infectious virus that entered through um, the mouth, eating something contaminated or, you know, through your hands if you had your fingers in your mouth. And polio was a, was a very rough virus that would attack the nervous system and, would, and many people would cause paralysis. And in the 1950s, they were trying to figure out a, a vaccine, a, a cure. And this Albert Sabin was working hard to develop a vaccine and he was working to find a way to expose people to a live strain of polio, but a small enough amount that their body could not contract the virus, but rather create an, uh, an immunity to it. And the reason that you have never heard of Albert Sabin is because somebody beat him to the punch. Jonas Salk. Yeah. Jonas Salk. What did he do? Jonas Salk is known for creating the vaccine for polio. What he did is he decided to try to use a dead strain of the virus. And so what he did is he found a way to create mass quantities of the virus and then he used this chemical called formalin to kill it or deactivate it. And he found that as he injected people with a small amount of the dead virus, it had the same impact, same effect of vaccinating that person against polio. And that's why he's the one credited with the uh, cure for polio or the vaccination. And he actually went on uh, the, the radio on March 26, 1953. He went on CBS National Radio Program and said, I have the vaccine. All you have to do is go to your doctor and get a shot like you would for anything else and you will be vaccinated against polio. What happens? People go in droves to get vaccinated against polio. Why? Well, they, all they had to do is something they've done many, many times. They didn't have to do something weird or different. All they had to do is go do something they were very, very familiar with. Go to their doctor and get a shot. And that same medical practice of just getting a shot was now going to be curing something in the people or vaccinating them against it. And here's what we have to understand about what's happening through the book of Ephesians. It's not so much that we're going to learn a whole bunch of new things. It's that we're going to return to the familiar gospel. We want to be understanding that good old gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We're being called to something we're already familiar with, but as we become even more familiar with it, it's going to impact us in new ways. It's going to change us in new ways. It's going to vaccinate us in some ways. It's going to help cure us in some ways. As we keep returning to the same good news. Now, I want to give you one practical thing to do. Um, in the foyer, um, I'm not going to go over there anymore. It seems to be the audio problematic area. In the foyer, um, not only do you have the Ephesians guide for studying, but there are also stacks of uh, index cards like this next to boxes with holes. Um, and last week, I said that one of the big barriers to us really growing 
through this Ephesians series will be fear. Fear of acknowledging what's broken and what's incomplete in each of us. And definitely fear of letting that out, sharing that with others. And we, we thought, uh, someone on staff came up with this. I can't remember who it was. When I find out, I will, I will uh, name them because this is a fantastic idea. But somebody thought, what if we were to allow people to write down what they're afraid of being exposed in an anonymous way, drop it in the box, and then what we will do, the staff will actually post these uh, in the foyer. And two things we think will happen. Number one, uh, we're going to post them so you'll be able to see all the various ways that we're all struggling. We all have this issue. We all are incomplete. And the good news being we all have the same Savior. So not only will we all see that, man, there's a lot of struggles, there's a lot of people that maybe aren't feeling safe about sharing some of these things, but we will also group them. We'll group them together so that when you see yours, you'll see it surrounded by uh, a bunch of others and you'll realize I'm not the only person who struggles with that. And the hope is, not that we figure out each other's handwriting, but that we do connect with each other's incompleteness and brokenness and need for a Savior so that our leaders can equip us to build each other up so that we enjoy more unity, more maturity, and more fullness in Christ. So be bold. And this week or the next couple weeks, write it down, drop it in. We'll post them. And then we'll watch Jesus pick fights with all of these issues that we struggle with. And although Satan doesn't play fair, uh, Jesus doesn't lose fights. So, let's pray. Father, um, we do pray as we've had these two weeks of thinking, these big thoughts about studying the book of Ephesians. We pray that we would all recognize that we're incomplete, but we find what's missing in Christ. And would you help us also see that we're in this together, that we need one another, and that you've called us to build each other up. And would you give us boldness to be more open about the struggles that we have so that these things can come into the light and with the light of Christ fight against these things, liberating us more and more as we await the day when he returns to make all things new. Would you help us to do this together as a church for your glory and our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.